What's up, everyone? Welcome to Triple Stitch. I'm your host, L. Yo, L, what up? Where culture and community collide, powered by Soul Savvy Women's. Soul Savvy is a platform built to put sneakerheads first, and their new women's community is committed to bringing equity to the space. To learn more about this, check out soulsavvy.com. That's Soul Savvy with one V. Today, we were joined by Drew Hamill, historian of the culture and the master behind your favorite sneakerhead's favorite Instagram, Nike Stories. Thank you, Drew, for joining us. We're super excited to have you on. Every story needs a beginning. Can you tell us about your story and what path led you to where you are today? Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure, it's a long story, so I'll try to keep it short. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I grew up in the 80s and 90s down in uh, South Jersey by Philadelphia. So I was growing up watching Allen Iverson um, with the Sixers and, of course, uh, lived through the the great Bulls era of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. So I was highly influenced and impacted by, you know, what they were doing on the court and what they were wearing uh, both on and off the court. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I grew up in the golden age of Nike with classic Jordans and Andre Agassi, amazing running shoes. And that really influenced me. My first job in high school was at the Athlete's Foot at the mall in, a, in Morristown. And then I moved over to Foot Locker after that, my senior year of high school at the Cherry Home Mall. So I really got a firsthand look at these sneakers that are legendary now. And I was selling them and talking to customers about them, interacting with Eakins at Nike. So um, right off the bat, I was hooked and, and loved everything about Nike and the culture. And yeah, I guess we can go from there. There's, there's plenty more to talk about after that. Of course. Do you remember the first pair of Nikes you ever got? The first few pairs were like hand-me-downs or, or given to me by neighbors, you know, back in like fourth and fifth grade. I didn't, didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I was shopping at Payless and getting like the, you know, and the much lower tier Nikes. I'd say my first pair of Nike Airs was the Maestros. That was probably like 94, 95. And then I think I had the the Air Create, which is like this uh, Nike trainer. And that was my first shoe with an air bubble, a visible air bubble in it. So I'll never forget those. But yeah, I'd say like 94, 95 was when I was getting my first pairs of Nikes. But And my first pair of Jordans was in um, 2000 in college. I got the Air Jordan 11 Concord retro. So that was a big big highlight for me. Yeah. I remember like I was only allowed to get shoes, like going back to school time. Like that was the only time new shoes were like allowed to happen. I just remember sitting in like a footlocker, like, please let it be some heat, please <laughs> let there be some heat that they'll let me yeah. get. Cause it was always like, my mom's like, I'm not spending a hundred and something dollars on some shoes that you're going to just like run around in and ruin. Like it's not going to happen. Yeah, so like yeah. always trying to finesse, like whoever was helping like the sales rep, like, please. <laughs> tell her, tell her I can climb walls with these something, anything so I can walk out of here and not look crazy was always the plan. <laughs> and and they had to be versatile too. So um, yeah, I could potentially get a, a nicer sneaker if I could convince my parents I'd be using it for basketball and tennis and, and where to school. Like, so that's, that was very important to, to show them that you could use this shoe for everything. Yeah, now kids actually have like, you'll get a pair of running shoes, you have your basketball shoes, if you play tennis, you have like your tennis shoes. Like now it's like, you can have everything. Back then it was just like, I had to figure out how I was going to play every sport, walk around, like it had to accomplish every task at hand for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's why cross trainers were really huge back then as mm-hmm. well, because I think Nike understood that and, and made some really cool trainers for kids so they could uh, use them for, for different types of sports. Absolutely. When did Nike stories like really start? Was it before the Instagram 
or did it just happen to like launch with you? Like when you decided to go in and start the Instagram? Yeah, it launched during the, uh, when Instagram was taking off in, um, 20, I guess Instagram took off 2012, 2013. And I was on there just in on a personal handle. And I was just chatting with my wife and, and she knew my passion for sneakers. And I saw other sneaker heads on there showing off what they had. And I thought, all right, how can I get involved in this? So it actually started as um, the handle was the genius of Nike because I was just, <laughs> I thought Nike was genius and their designers were genius, yeah. their designs and how they market sneakers and athletes. But very quickly, people were like, wait, so are you, are you the genius of Nike? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> talking about how genius Nike is. So, and I, I realized a lot of these captions were more stories um, and explaining like, this is the history of this shoe. This is the history of this print ad. Um, so that's when I switched it over to Nike stories pretty early on. And um, yeah, it caught fire. Uh, it took, it took some work, but probably caught fire about six months after I started it up. Okay. Were you surprised to see just kind of the attention that it got, like how many other people also shared like such a significant passion for the brand as you? Yeah, I, I was excited because first off, I think a lot of sneakerheads were just showing their sneakers, but not really explaining what they were. And you were just expected to know, oh yeah, that's, that's a, a rare shoe or that's a really nice one. So I, I felt like, well, let me share the stories behind these. And that's when a lot of other people started uh commenting like yeah i had the same ones and and did you have this colorway and don't forget about this and it just nike stories kind of like the comments kind of made made the caption right so people yeah. commenting on it and sharing their stories really helped it grow and people started forwarding the posts and i guess people like uh ronnie feig and the folks at complex started taking notice high stability things like that and yeah, it really took off after that. Did you already have stories kind of in like a personal archive, like ready to share? What was the process like kind of developing the content for the page? Yeah, it was always meant to be organic and kind of just, um, it, it was meant to be a commentary on Nike kicks and culture. So just commenting on what's going on in the industry at the moment. And then also just free flowing, like, oh, I'm um, looking through an old East Bay or an old Slam magazine, and I found this interesting, and no one's posted this in maybe ever. So here it is. So yeah, I definitely had the material already with East Bay catalog, Slam magazines, and a small collection of sneakers. So I mean, I definitely wanted to, you know, push the if I, if there was a sneaker I felt needed to retro, I was definitely going to keep talking about it and kind of push the envelope on that and try to get other people involved. But yeah, it was always meant to be organic and, and free flowing and not not too much of a plan. Okay. And is there a Nike story that you treasure the most or one that still impacts you today? Uh, I've got plenty. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. I, I mean, getting the Air Jordan 11 Concord, my favorite sneaker of all time. That was a huge moment for me back in 2000. I was a freshman in college at Rutgers uh, in Jersey and had worked at Foot Logger, obviously, but wasn't there when they dropped. And I asked a friend who was still working there to hold me a pair and, and he did and even got like 30% off them. So I think the, the price was maybe around a hundred dollars for those. <laughs> um, so that was really exciting to have those. Um, I'd say meeting Andre Agassi, my hero, my idol. I played tennis in high school, played varsity and tried to make my game as close to his as possible. I got to meet him at the US Open in 99 when he was on the rise again. He was just practicing at the US Open and just hitting with his coach and his trainer, uh, Gil Reyes was there. And 
Uh, he came over, got his autograph, asked him a few questions, asked him about his sneakers, uh, what size shoe he wears, things like that. So it was, it was really uh, an amazing moment to actually meet my hero. It's crazy, like how you were able to like just meet him. I feel like that's just not a possibility today. Celebrities are so protected. Yeah, yeah. It was a different time back in, in 99, 2000. There was no social media. At the U.S. Open, you could just sit right next to a great player and watch them, whereas it's very guarded now. And they um, mm-hmm. even built special practice courts so you cannot get anywhere near the players i will say though serena williams was coming up back then and she already had her entourage so we tried to like (laughs) speak to her and she just walked right by us she was (laughs) she had like three or four people around her at least and was in a hurry so it was already starting back then i can definitely say that she was ahead of the game and what was it about agassi what was about like his game or his impact on sneaker culture that kind of inspired you the most Obviously, the designs of the sneakers he was wearing were incredible. The AirTech challenges in the early 90s, the Air Flare, the Air Zuma Blaze, the Air Zoom Pounce, all amazing models, most of them designed by Wilson Smith. And then the apparel he was wearing as well, dry fit material, shorts, long sleeve dry fit shirts, everything to his racket, the racket he was using, the head racket, his style, his flair, everything, which is so appealing to kids. You know, he was just so avant-garde and and radical, you know, for the game compared to all the other tennis players. And, and for me, I just kind of fell into tennis because I love court sports. Like I love basketball, obviously, but I'm not, you know, athletic enough to play basketball. I played up until freshman year of, of high school, but you could kind of see the similarities between Agassi and the stuff he was wearing and what uh, Nike athletes were wearing in basketball to the point where even like John Stockton wore a pair of Agassiz shoes on the court and Gary Payton wore a pair as well. So you could see the similarities between uh, basketball and tennis culture, which I really was drawn to, to the point where I'd also wear Nike basketball shoes on the tennis court and try them out as well. So I, I loved uh, the similarities between the two sports. If there was an athlete past or present within tennis, do you think any of them have been able to have the same impact that Agassi has? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think not for the men's game. Uh, obviously, Serena for the women's game is obviously an icon. But for the men's game, it's really hard. There's a ton of amazing players, obviously, with Federer and Nadal and Djokovic, but they're just they haven't had the cultural impact, at least in America, I can't say for the rest of the, the world. But yeah, Agassi was doing stuff uh, and influencing people in a way that no, if and if it was if Michael Jordan wasn't around, I'd say Agassi would have been bigger as well. Mm. But obviously, Michael Jordan was just taking over uh, the culture in an even bigger way back in the 90s. So no, I don't think you can compare anyone to Agassi. Untouchable. Untouch- I know I was I was fairly young during like his like biggest moments, but like I didn't even watch tennis, but it was enough where like, I remember him seeing him on like different catalogs and I'm just like, okay, like who is this guy? And like, can we watch a game? I just want to see it from like the way he had like his tights, like the trainers on, like it was just so colorful and just kind of fun to just like watch and like mimic. You collect the kits, right? Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very niche, niche hobby of mine, but it's to the point where clearly Nike's not going to bring back really any of the sneakers he wore. And they're not definitely not bringing back the clothing. They brought back the um, the AirTech Challenge line last year for the U.S. Open. So there is like some retro clothing, but I'm more interested in the stuff he wore from like 95 to 99 because that was my high school era. And that's the stuff that I really wanted, but could, again, couldn't buy when I was um, a kid. So you can find it all on, well, it's really hard to find it, but you can find it on eBay 
And I know some collectors around the world that once in a while, they're looking to get rid of a few things. So yeah, I've gotten some things from overseas from guys in the UK and uh, Monte Carlo, <laughs> just random places. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's my new hobby is to track down full Agassiz kits. And I've uh, been somewhat successful so far with that. That's good. And I'm sending you all the good vibes <laughs> for just continuous <laughs> success in that. And you mentioned Wilson Smith, mm -hmm. for people who don't know, was a designer for Nike with a ton of legendary kicks under his belt, who played a huge role in Agassi, and I know kind of inspiring you coming up. Is there a specific design of his, or maybe there are a couple that really have impacted you the most? Yeah, for me, he's he's primarily known for his tennis designs, but a lot of people don't realize he designed the Air More Up Tempo, which keeps coming back over and over again uh, with the big air on the on the upper and the um, Air Max bubbles uh, in, for cushioning. He designed that. And I, I was right when he was designing Agassiz's shoes, the Air Zoom Pounce, the Air Zoom Ablaze, the Air Flare, which is Agassiz's favorite. And Wilson and I, we chat, I don't know, once a week maybe. And we're in this little uh. tennis chat as well on Instagram. It's like 25 different guys around the world. We all love tennis. And he, he'll once in a while pop in and just tell us a little story or, or send us a photo of something. And and blow our minds like oh my god that's so cool so yeah and and he's been at nike forever he's man been there since i guess the early to mid 90s uh, one of the best designers ever in my opinion and last i checked he's at nike at hq in the dna lab so he knows pretty much everything about uh, nike and nike design sneaker design uh, really nice guy, really friendly. So I'd love to actually meet him someday and, you know, pick his brain about a few things, but yeah, legendary designer. He doesn't get enough credit. I'd say he's the most slept on designer of all time, in my opinion. All right. Everybody's got some homework to do after <laughs> this and go check out Wilson Smith for sure. Absolutely. Is there a shoe from your past that you never got your hands on that you still think about to this day? Oh yeah. Plenty. <laughs> Boy, where to start? Let's see. Uh, the Air Max to Air Max squared, I guess. Yeah. Air Max with a, uh, you know, it's Air, not the Air Max two, but it came out in 94, never been retro. And a lot of us old school guys are still hoping Nike brings that back. There's still plenty of Jordans. I haven't gotten my hands on and I don't even care if they're like the actual OG OG one. I, I'm fine. Like the Air Jordan seven, I still need the Bordeaux and the hairs Boy, there. There's so many, but I am trying to get Air Jordan one through 14, which I have most of, but yeah, I am looking for, I'd say random stuff too. Um, <clears throat> obviously all the tennis models and plenty of runners, the Air Zoom Citizen, uh, which came out in like 99. It's an Alpha Project sneaker, which for those who don't know, Alpha Project was like this department at Nike with and their logo was five dots. And it was uh, really uh, an, an attempt to just come up with even crazier designs and really push the limit of what sneakers and apparel can be. So the Air Zoom Citizen was, I believe, one of the first models with visible Zoom Air. So you had Zoom Air coming up in like 95, 96. And then in order to actually see how Zoom Air works, they started making it visible. And, and one of those shoes to start that was the Citizen. Wow. It's the, the history of like Nike is like almost never ending. Like yeah, sometimes I really feel is. like I know enough and then you'll learn something else. And I'm like, okay, like that's crazy. Like oh, yeah. I had the opportunity to meet Tinker, which mm. like just blew my mind as like the three for me is like, that's, that's my shoe. Which like sometimes I'm like, yes, it's typical. Everybody loves the Jordan three, but it was definitely the story behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in getting Jordan to like really like commit, you know, to seeing that for the rest of his career. And like 
to meet him, I was just like, dude, like, do you know who you are? <laughs> you know Where, what you have yeah. done. Where did you meet him? Uh, I was working. I was at work and I was working for a company that was in the tech like world. So they, they weren't really big on sneakers. And I already kind of like stood out in the office, just like in my footwear alone. And I get a message from like the CEO and he's like, Hey, we have like somebody that wants to come by and check out like some products. Like, I don't know if you know who he is. His name is Tinker Hatfield. And I'm like, like, are you kidding me? Like I was already like in my closet grabbing like a pair of threes. I got my flu games. I was like grabbing every Teleria, like every shoe I knew he'd touch. And I was like, he's going to have to sign this. I don't know when I'm going to be able to sneak that into the conversation, but super super nice guy like had a ton of stories like as soon as he came in with his fedora on it was just like i don't usually get like starstruck but i i almost like froze in place i didn't know what to do besides like can you sign my shoe please yeah yeah just sign my shoe it was an amazing yeah. moment for sure i think i would be starstruck too i don't know what i would even say to him <laughs> so yeah that that's really cool yeah that's definitely a dream of mine to meet him someday though Great guy. Super, super, yeah. super great guy. Definitely. You definitely will. You need to. Yeah. You have to. We have to make this happen. We have to call Nike and make it happen. And with that being said, and like Tinker coming from a different time in the industry, how do you feel the direction of the industry has changed now that social media exists? It's changed pretty dramatically with social media because there's just so much interaction with the consumer now that we didn't have 20 years ago. So everything from sustainability to social justice issues to bringing sneakers back, it's just all out there all the time. So Nike can see all that feedback and get live information, which is both good and bad because it's just, it's so much, it's just so much information now it's overwhelming. So obviously I think, you know, I'm a Nike fan for life, so I, I can't, you know, say anything too negative about them. I think they're going in the right direction. They're responding to what we want to see for the most part. Um, I'm actually working on an article now about how hard it is to retro, actually retro a sneaker that hasn't been retro before. Like there's a lot of work and a lot of people that go into that. So it is my goal still to kind of unveil these stories and, and info to the common consumer that you just don't realize because we all complain about shoes that haven't come back yet, but it's like, no, they don't have the mold for that anymore. Like they don't have the materials. They don't have anything left. They have to actually reverse engineer it. Do you realize how complicated that can be and how expensive and you still want the shoe at $120. So, and as far as sustainability goes, I think that's um, really important. Like my full-time job is, is not in the sneaker world. It's in, uh, it's in retail, but with another company and we care about sustainability a lot as well. And in fashion and retail, there's a lot of waste. Um, obviously mm -hmm. you're shipping materials overseas on, on ships and on planes, and that's really expensive and costly and damaging to the environment and shoes are coming in boxes and, and there's plastic and all these things that Nike and every other retailer can do better. So I think they're aware of it and they're, they're doing their best to, to be more sustainable. Yeah, for sure. It's fashion is anytime I think about anytime a brand's like, okay, we're going to shoot this sustainable message. I'm like, it's really hard. Yeah. Like when you just think of like from beginning to end, as you know, like so much waste, even when you think of like packaging and like the whole ceremony around all of it, it's definitely going to be quite a task to tackle. It is. And I mean, I feel like, you know, there's enough shoes already in the world. Like, you know, there's so many sneakerheads that have more shoes than they'll ever wear in their lifetime. So 
I think Nike and these new um, sneaker apps need to come up with creative ways for us to trade shoes, not just resell them to the point where maybe it's you're shipping the box to somebody or you give people incentives like us in New York, in the New York metro area, give us an incentive to actually meet up with somebody and actually hand the shoe over in person so we're not shipping it and uh, spending that money you know, and wasting a box. I think there's still a lot of potential there which most companies have not even realized yet. So it's good that Nike's looking into like this new refurbished program. Some apps do encourage trading, but there's a long way to go with that. There's definitely a long way. I think about anytime I look at my sneaker collection, sometimes I'm like, I haven't worn half of these or you find something that you're like, I forgot I even yeah. had these. And it's almost, almost sometimes I feel bad, but I'm like, I just can't let it go. I yeah. just can't let them go. Well, that's how I think of it. It's like, I have all, I, I have about a hundred shoes. I could have 500, but I've gotten rid of a lot, most of them. Uh, but I try to be creative about it. So I'll, obviously I have a pretty big network on Nike stories. So if there's anyone in the, the metro area, I'll try to connect with them and say, let's come up with a trade, kind of like baseball cards were in the in the 90s. Um, yeah, you trade. And I always think, okay, I have this pair, but what would I be willing to give it up for? And mm-hmm. I have a few in my mind. So then I look for people that have that shoe and see if they're interested. And then we, we go from there. And that's always fun to do. I have a group chat where we're always just like, well, what do you got? Like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I'll see what you trade. And it's like, it reminds me of just kind of back in the day, how it was like in sneaker culture, where it was just like this subculture where you were just online in different chat rooms. Well, I have a size 10 and this, this and that, like, you know, what do you want to give up? Like it kind of brings a bit more excitement to kind of like be in the community. Right. And just kind of like putting smiles on each other's faces. Absolutely. That's what it's all about for me is the community and and having friends and and sharing common, common interests. That's what I love about it. And what are your thoughts on models that used to make it on East Bay sale? in the 90s and then now being retroed and then placed with like a high resale value. So yeah, yeah. so sneakers that were that went on sale back in the East Bay yeah. days, uh, yeah, um, and now they're, they're uh, super high value. Uh, I mean, I love it. That's my goal is to, for whatever reason, hype up sneakers that maybe you didn't think about because honestly, there's a lot of hype behind like Air Jordan 1s and Dunks, but I care about stuff that you haven't, uh, the other things that you haven't seen. Um, the resale market, general, it is what it is. I know it's it's you can't really stop it. So it's just kind of entertaining for me to see something that yeah maybe well, went on sale. Like I remember I posted the um, Air Jordan Nine Olives the other day, and that posted really well because a lot of people who actually were around when that shoe dropped know that it wasn't that popular, and yeah, it did go on sale back then, and now. It's beloved and one of the, the greatest, right? And yeah, yeah, it's really hard to get. And it hasn't retroed in, in quite a while now. And everybody wants to see it come back. And and the, the the OG guys are laughing like, dude, nobody wanted that shoe back then because it was considered ugly because, you know, Jordan wasn't in the league when it dropped. And it was this weird olive brown color. And it's like, what? That's, that doesn't belong on a basketball court. It's just too different from what he was wearing. So yeah, that kind of stuff makes me laugh and and and. That is one of my favorite Jordans, but I will agree. Like, yeah, back then I was not that interested in it because it wasn't something that Jordan had on his feet at the time, except there is that iconic photo now of him wearing them with um, the golf clubs in a garage and the the short and t-shirt set on, which is an amazing photo. So I'm glad that they are. I'm glad. I'm just, I can just say I'm glad they're they're hyped up now because it is a great shoe overall. Yeah. Every time a shoe drops and maybe it doesn't like perform, super well i'm always like thinking like hmm, 10 years from now 
Like what will happen? Yeah. And that's why sneakers is so successful because they've got everyone thinking, well, okay, this is kind of falling under the radar now. I got to get it. Cause what if it does become popular? Um, which, you know, that's just supply and demand. That's economics 101. That's capitalism. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. That's just the reality of it. So you just got to be creative and think of different ways to, to find sneakers now because um, everyone's going to the same places. So you got to look for, for different avenues to, to find what you're looking for. Exactly. It's like uh, every sneakerheads collection is becoming like a small museum gallery yep. of its own, where it's just like, yeah, I have this pair from 2000 and whatever. Like it's, it'll be very interesting what it turns around to be in like the next decade or so. And definitely mm-hmm. excited to see how it all pans out. It's just, it's insane. It's kind of crazy. The market is just like blown up so much. I am yeah, I'm very curious to see where, where things are going in the next 10 years, next 20 years. I, I, like with the baseball card market in the nineties, like mm-hmm. it just became too saturated, but th- those were little pieces of cardboard. These are sneakers, obviously much more expensive just to make them and to own them. But yeah, at some point people are going to run out of, of space in their apartments <laughs> and homes to store them. So obviously that's why resale apps are, are so successful because people do need to keep clearing out space and they get a lot of slack from either their parents or their significant others uh, yeah. to stop hoarding sneakers. So I, I do hope that there are more creative avenues and outlets for people to um, at least exchange and share sneakers or even better give them away to people who actually need them. Yeah, exactly. Nothing feels better than me than giving away a pair of shoes to someone who's mm-hmm. either starting a collection who doesn't have any at all. I think that's always, I'm always just like, what size are you? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. Let me see if I have something. It's always like nice to see. Cause I think after you collect for so long, sometimes you're not excited about some shoes. Yeah. Like I found, like, I don't know if you found yourself where it's like, I couldn't wait to like kind of open a box. Now it's just like that hype feeling. And then as soon as you get it, you're like, okay, I got the shoe. Yeah. And just kind of like put it in the collection <laughs> and like move on with your life. Yeah. For me, it's, I still get excited every time FedEx drops something <laughs> off and to see what it is because yeah, Nike will send me a few surprises and some other companies will as well. But yeah, when you have an account that gets pretty big, there is a lot of pressure then to promote it um, because I am expected to show what I got and and promote it and, and, and it has to get likes and comments and things like that. So yeah, sometimes I'll get something of like, oh, I don't know how I'm supposed to promote this. because it's, <laughs> it's Great. It's a nice shoe. And, and I, I would love to wear it, but it's not, you know, there's nothing really that special about it. So yeah. Um, yeah. But the thrill of finding something again, like uh, something from the nineties, like an, uh, an Agassi t-shirt that he wore. And I do hunt down some, some OG dead stock sneakers from the nineties. I've been successful with that a few times in the last year. That is definitely a, a thrill to, uh, to find those shoes. For sure. And we now live in a time where collabs are just second nature. Is there a collaboration you wish could have happened back in the nineties? Ooh, that's a good question. A collab boy. Oh boy. Well, I mean, there were so many legendary hip-hop artists back in the 90s that were wearing nikes tupac and biggie and man oh man wu-tang clan they didn't ever have collabs did they i don't think no like there's like later era like yeah you know a few years later it started but they didn't so that would have been crazy to see something like that back in the 90s you know i'm trying to think what else yeah, Biggie Nike drop would have been mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, right. 
or Tupac, like, uh, you know, whenever I post a picture of him wearing like the air flares or something else, people go nuts. So he was just such an influential guy in, in the culture back then. So that that would have been insane. That would have been, yeah. I was, I was just like thinking about it. I'm like, wow, there's so many collabs that like could have been, that would have been like pretty sick. Tupac mm-hmm. one would definitely, definitely be a legendary, yeah, legendary moment. Mm-hmm. And I know writing for East Bay was a dream for you growing up. What was it like to have that dream come true? And can you tell us a little bit about what you do with them today? Yeah. So um, I have, like, I got their catalogs growing up and obviously they, it's like all the product that came out each month they were, they were posting and there was no social media. So that was your um, main way to find out what was coming out. It had all the info, every um, picture of every shoe, all the info about the shoe when it was dropping. Um, so those were our uh, encyclopedias. Those were our Bibles back then. And I saved them where other people were just throwing them out. And they were put in boxes in my in the attic in my house. And I left, um, moved on. And my mom just forgot about them, I guess. And was cleaning out the attic in the around 2012, 2013 and handed me the boxes. And she said, do you want these? And I'm like, oh my God, do you realize... <laughs> what you have here. <laughs> so I um, started scanning them and posting them. That's really what helped me take off because nobody else had access to these really, except a few other nerds who also saved them. <clears throat> so yeah, I would say, you know, writing for them today, it's, it started as me posting a few images on social and then it got, it finally got their attention and they did an interview with me and um, that went well. So then they asked if I wanted to start writing for their blog. And of course I said, yeah, absolutely. And it's turned into a really great relationship with them. So I am an ambassador for them. Like they send me stuff to promote, um, which I, I love doing. That's where testing different sneakers and clothing. And, and I write a monthly article for them and I get to pick whatever topic I want with a little direction from them. And we kind of look at like what's going on and, and what they're what, you know, what drops are coming out for them. And we kind of just put something together. So it's a really, really uh, fun relationship with them these days. That's amazing. And was there a writer that inspired you growing up or presently that kind of got you to want to tell your Nike stories? Definitely the old slam magazines starting out in the late nineties. And I can say Russ Bankston, who I've met a few times, um, was super influential with, with slam and, and still is today. He knows his stuff better than anyone I can I can definitely say he knows everything about sneaker culture and every shoe so yeah I was definitely learning from him in the early slam magazines and you know writing for me just came naturally like at at school I was terrible um, at Rutgers I was on academic probation my first year at Rutgers I was like almost failing most of my classes (laughs) or getting D's because I just didn't care about school and was uh, partying too much but the one class I always did well in was um, the writing classes expository writing, which was like a really tough class at Rutgers. I got a B plus in that class and no one got an A in it. And I didn't even really try. So, you know, the writing thing for me just came naturally compared to like science and math, things like that. So yeah, that's, that's why I gravitated towards like being like a Russ Bankston, you know, focusing on writing a, a, a good article that people can relate to and understand and break down things. Cause that's what I'm, I'm passionate about and just comes naturally to me. No, it's it's always great to kind of have like an outlet. And then when you can connect it to something that you're so passionate about, it's like a win-win, can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were also a contributor for Complex Sneaker of the Year, which sits on my coffee table. Um, What was that like? 
Yeah, that was um, an interesting time. I had just started a new job and was super busy with it and didn't really have much time to write. But then I get a call from Gerald Flores, who was putting the book together with Complex and asked me to write. Uh, oh, he pitched the idea to me and so asked if I wanted to write a few chapters. And um, I was kind of like, oh man, I don't even know if I have time for this, but I have to say yes. Like this is a huge opportunity. So I agreed to it. And it was a really intense time in my life. Like it was a lot of late nights, just doing a lot of research. And these are big chapters, right? They're each mm-hmm. like 5,000 words, I think, which is a huge, <laughs> huge <laughs> task. And I, yeah. And I wrote like five or six chapters, plus some of the, the bylines and um, side paragraphs and stuff. So I think it was like a six month process and it was a lot of back and forth and a lot of proofreading but I got it done and I'm really excited with the outcome of it because it was a goal of mine to get into writing book, books. Uh, someday I do want to, you know, write my own book about sneakers. So I felt like I have to do this and and whatever it takes to get it done, let's, let's do it. So I'm really happy with how it turned out and I'm, I'm glad people are enjoying it. No, it's amazing. I, it's one of my favorite things that sits on my coffee table. Anytime I have someone over, I'm like, just skim through it. I'm like, you don't even yeah. have to read it. I'm like, you just look at the stuff in there. Like it's very, very, very greatly curated. It's amazing. Thank you. I do wonder if people read all of it. Cause it is, a, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of words in there and not as many pictures. I brought it with me once on a plane and actually like mm-hmm. cracked it up and was like, all right, like, let me read it. Cause I'm always, <laughs> I think like to your point, when you were talking earlier, so many people have like love for like all of these silhouettes, but we don't always know the story behind them. And as I've gotten older, like I've cared a bit more. I'm like, all right, if I'm going to like die for this shoe, like it's everything, like I should probably know who made it or like, what were the thoughts going behind or different experiences that the shoe has had itself. So it's definitely really nice to kind of like sit back and get personal, you know, with these products that we just grow to love. Great. That's, that's great to hear. That's very encouraging. Yeah. Because there is, there is such a rich history behind these shoes and and that is what I what I care most about as well as is sharing these stories and the people behind them. Yeah, and is that your goal as a writer and contributor? Yeah, I mean, again, like I just love connecting and curating. Um, so you know, that's I, I guess something I I love doing is just sharing sharing the stories and explaining. Do you understand why this sneaker is so important and where it came from and who came up with it and what were the drawings behind it and what were the challenges they faced and what were the issues with building the upper, like with the foam posit, my God, it was such a hard sneaker to come up with. It would, like, and just the freedom these designers had in the nineties to just come up with whatever they wanted and make it yeah. a reality is, is fascinating to me. So, and like you said earlier, we can go on forever talking about Nike and, and the stories. There's just such a, a rich history there. So that's my goal in, in whatever way that is, whether it's through social media, through Instagram, through writing a book, through writing a blog post for East Bay or um, another website, um, just sharing that knowledge with people. Because that's what it was about when I was in high school at these um, shoe stores like the Athlete's Foot and Foot Locker. You needed to educate people on what they were trying on and explain well, this is good for for your foot because of these reasons, and you should probably not wear this shoe because it has this, and you your foot needs this. That's what Nike's all about uh, overall, as well as the athlete. And they believe everyone is an athlete, and they want to make sure that you're wearing the proper footwear for whatever um, sport or activity that you're you're pursuing. And what is it like for you if you ever go like 
actually into a store to like get a pair of shoes and someone's trying to help you out. Do you ever like have to school someone like actually? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It happens. Um, it happened, a few, let's see, about two years ago and I won't say the store, but it was in New York city, right by union square. And it was the sneaker um, that had visible zoom air in it. And um, the employee said, this is the first sneaker to feature visible zoom air. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, it's not. <laughs> like, he's like, well, that's what I was told. I'm like, well, that's wrong. It was actually the Air Zoom Citizen back in 99. He's like, well, what? what's that? And I'm like, he's like, no, this is, this is I'm like, so I'm like, hold on, hold on. So I pull up the, the photo on my phone and I'm like, look, this came back in night out out in 99 here's the east bay catalog this had visible <laughs> zoom aired over 20 years ago okay and he's like okay all right all right so yeah that that moment actually got me a little heated because like he was very like uh, he thought he was right and i'm like dude no you're not um so yeah it happens from time to time and actually because i love shoes so much i have to be careful when i go into stores because i usually want to buy something so yeah yeah it's hard for me that's why i do those videos on my stories like i just want to show everyone what's going on in mm-hmm. in a store and that actually helps me not buy something because i get preoccupied with that instead exactly change your focus yeah <laughs> And how many retros do you have in your collection versus the newer silhouettes and iterations? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's probably 60 to 70% retros and maybe 30% of the newer stuff. So obviously it's pretty heavy on the retro stuff and, and actual OG sneakers from the 90s. I probably have still seven, eight or nine models that are from the 90s, actually from the 90s. And two of two or three of those are still dead stock, never worn. And at this point, I'm nervous. I, I slip them on my foot just to see how it looks, <laughs> but I'm not going to really walk around with them because they, they could crumble and fall apart. But yeah, at the same time, I love what Nike's doing. I, I got the new Pegasus 38. Uh, I've been trying that out. Great new running shoe. Uh, so yeah, I, I love the new running stuff coming out. Um, Nike sends me the, the latest stuff every like quarter to try out for them and post. So, um, and it's pretty similar for Jordan as well. I get to try out the new Jordans as well. So I, I, I would say for Air Jordan, um, the sneakers keep getting better. The technology is amazing in those. So um, as much as I love the, the new stuff, I still will always love the, the old school stuff from the 90s the most. Is there a retro that you're waiting on that still hasn't happened? Yeah, again, this is just uh, part of the article that I'm working on. So I'm talking to like four or five guys from Nike about exactly why certain sneakers haven't retroed. And yeah, I'm definitely honing in on like that Air Max Squared from 94 and yeah, certain Agassi models. And and really it comes down to um, not enough interest in them. So that's my job is to generate this interest. But again, I'm getting old and they care about the kids. They care about the 15 to 17 year olds. So I'm always trying to think of ways to highlight sneakers that maybe the kids will be interested in. But yeah, I would say the Air Max Squared and some of the, the Agassi models are are still the ones that I, I really am passionate about. They should, they should retro. For sure. And putting the swoosh aside, has there ever been a time you've put on the three stripes, Adidas, yeah. <laughs> or is there a silhouette that you just can't help but respect? Yeah, of course. Um, 
Um, I, I own the Stan Smiths and I own the, the Samba soccer shoe and I have an Argentina uh, soccer jersey, which is Adidas because my dad went to South America, to Argentina for a conference. Like it's probably been about 10 years now. I'm like, hey, pick up a, an Argentina jersey. Those are cool if you see one. And he did. So, uh, you know, I'll wear it if Argentina is ever playing a match. That's like my South American uh, soccer team I root for. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I have total respect for the Stan Smith. I think it's a super classic tennis shoe and the mm -hmm. Samba is as a classic soccer sneaker that I wore the Samba for baseball and soccer in third grade because my parents <laughs> were too cheap to get me cleats. And they're like, well, that'll work. Like, There's no cleats. How am I supposed to run around on, on dirt and, and grass? Yeah. <laughs> I was like the only kid not wearing cleats uh, playing soccer and baseball. But for those reasons, I will always have a, a deep love for that sneaker. So yeah, those are, those are a few things I wear with, with the three stripes. Samba would probably be the one shoe. I would probably, there was a, there was a twin strike, ADV twin strike that came out maybe 2017, 2018. And I, I think that was the first Adidas shoe that I was like, okay. I was like, I might, I might actually wear that. I only wear it like in home indoors where no one can see me most of the time, but <laughs> it happens. It happens occasionally just, just to have the moment. Yeah. And I mean, I started a new account. It's just my name, Drew.Hamill. And it's more of like a fashion account, like a fit, fit pick account, because obviously I love Nike, but um, I'm, I'm really into, um, you know, Japanese denim and like higher end workwear for men. And of course, other brand, like boot brands. I love Red Wing boots. And the account has just opened doors to speak to smaller brands. Like um, this small company called 2000 and Never is a boot brand in down in the South. I forget what's, which state. I think it's Tennessee or Alabama. So like, I love footwear in general. And I, I, I'm always curious to see what else is going on out there. And I love wear testing. So and I love boots and, and workwear and things like that. So yeah, overall, I'm just a fan of, of fashion and sneakers and boots in general. Yeah. And is that what we can kind of expect to see from you next? Just kind of this evolution from just sneakers to kind of opening the doors a little bit more into fashion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always loved fashion. Like uh, growing up in South Jersey, we would drive up with my parents to Soho and just walk around. And in the 90s, like Soho was a different place, but it still had that amazing architecture. And there was all these like very small um, fashion labels with, with shops. And it was just magical to me to see that. So um, it's something I've always cared about. And I just kind of fell into the Nike lane because of Nike stories, but I do have that passion for other labels as well. So this new account is, is a way to kind of open that up and share other brands that I'm interested in and, and have a, a love for. And I created a website too. My wife helped me out with that. And she's like my photographer. So <laughs> she'll like, you know, we'll take a few pictures really quick uh, when we have a moment and then uh, she'll do the editing and put them either on, on my website or uh, I'll put them on Instagram. She's the, the creative director. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's like the jack of all trades. She does like the invoicing for me, the billing. She does the website curation, everything. So none of this would happen without her. Shout out to your wife for holding it down, <laughs> making it all yep. possible. <laughs> and all right, last question. But I think something for like our community, like with Soul Savvy, would definitely want to know is, is there a Nike story that you think most people don't know that we should all at least be aware of? Yeah. I've been thinking about this and I would have to say it's even a story that I'm constantly trying to learn more about is the Nike phone ads from uh, 95 to 97. 
for most people know about them at this point because I've done so much to try to share them. And, and there's even a new account called Nike Phone Ads. This guy out in Seattle owns most of them, but he doesn't have all of them. There's like over 80 or 90 different ads that came out between 95 and 97. It's just um, a sneaker with a red swoosh and a phone number. And if you called the number, you would get an athlete on the phone, just a recording, and you'd learn more about the shoe or, or a celebrity. It's my goal to find all of these ads, to find the recordings, the music behind them. It was a fascinating, fascinating campaign that ran over, over two years. And there's really not much that information on the internet about this campaign. And I really feel like it was so revolutionary because it was so minimalist, but it was showing all, of, all these amazing shoes that Nike was doing from the golden age all in one ongoing campaign. So that's a story that I feel belongs like in a museum. Like I'd love to see all of these ads on a wall in a museum in a gallery where you can like listen to each ad. That is a story that I don't even know all about. So if anyone who's listening knows, has any, any information, I'd love to speak to them. Now that that's super sick. I, anytime I see those ads, it almost feels like it's something you would see today. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then to like, even think that it comes from like the past is like, spot on before they even know it yeah i feel like you could see those like in new york like post no bills you know when they put yeah, those just wheat pasted up. yeah yeah i feel like you could see them on there it's it, it's such a natural campaign and it, yeah, you're right it's timeless it's so timeless you could see them today as 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 easily as 20 years years ago no it's super great and thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and telling us your nike story it was a pleasure to get with you i've been following you for a while on Instagram myself. So it's definitely great to kind of sit and be able to talk to you. Um, But thank you again for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Drew, for joining us and letting us hear your Nike story. If you aren't already, follow Drew's Instagram at Nike Stories for the ins and outs of your favorite Sue silhouettes. And don't forget to check out Soul Savvy, connecting you to people as passionate about sneakers and culture as you are. That's soulsavvy.com with one V. Until next time, I'm your host, L, and this was Triple Stitch.